Hello, my hot pots of buttery love. Welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. This is a movie review podcast brought to you by the mildly educated, replete with rants, raves, and rambles. Pull up a popcorn bucket and let us preach to your choir or stoke your ire. Today's film in review is Greta Gerwig's 2017 directorial debut, her biopic feature titled Lady Bird. And today's guest is eight of my friends and family quoted here under pseudonyms. Everyone quoted in today's episode has lived in or around Sacramento for anywhere from three to 12 years, and Lady Bird takes place entirely in Sacramento, as that is where its title, character, director, writer, Greta Gerwig grew up, and it is a, it's 110% a biopic, autobio, I suppose. I'm using pseudonyms for everyone that I'm going to quote, with the exception of the first person, and that would be my mom. People have been taking their moms to see this movie, in particular daughters have been taking their moms to see this movie and recommending that you take your mom to see this movie. I saw it first by myself, and then the second time I took my mom to see it, partially because all the articles were saying that, partially because I was genuinely curious what she would think about it and or I think part of the reason that people are recommending that you go see it with your mom is because it is a relationship that kind of hinges I mean it is a movie that kind of hinges on the relationship between the titular character Ladybird and her mother so that's kind of the backbone or is intended to be the backbone of the film is this mother-daughter relationship so here's my mom's review (laughs) well it held my attention It was entertaining, but I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel about it, about her. Is the girl, the main character, supposed to be a hero? Because I didn't feel like she was very heroic. And then she left. I'm just gonna go ahead and run through all these reviews that I gathered from my wonderful friends. This is a review from Razmataz. As a localish person to Sacramento, it was kind of neat seeing things I knew. Objectively, it didn't really matter where it took place, and the Sacramento landmarks felt like they overstayed their welcome because the interstitial scenes felt like they took too long at times. Parts of it felt like in the movie The Room, where they show shots of San Francisco to insist that it takes place in San Francisco. I didn't really like the movie at the time of the viewing, as coming-of-age films typically don't do it for me, but as I get further from it, I think of it fondly. Our next review is from Lindenberry. So Lindenberry says, I loved it as a coming of age type of film. It left my heart feeling warm and fuzzy and I was really able to identify with the characters. It glorifies the importance of friendship while growing up because there really is a need for having someone there for those turbulent late teens. I wouldn't claim that this is the best movie ever, but it definitely shows the realness of teenage girls when it comes to subjects like masturbating, dating, school, family, and friendships all with a few sprinkles of culture someone in Sacramento can enjoy. DeLorean says, As a Sacramento native, I loved the movie for its refreshing candidness and familiar scenery, but I did not find the plot so relatable and tear-jerking as many others did. My mom and I have always had an incredibly close best friend status relationship, friendship, so Lady Bird's strained relationship with her mother did not stand out to me at all, even though that was the selling point for many fans. Jungle George says, I think seeing it in the Sacramento area was a mistake because for some reason when people recognize things, songs, etc., they feel the need to comment and have full conversations about these things. While I didn't relate personally, I thought it had its charming moments. My favorite lines were when she was showing her CD collection and talking about the best of albums. It didn't really make a difference to me that it was set in Sacramento, and I thought the end was super disappointing, but I enjoyed getting there. It did feel a lot longer than it actually is, though. Olive says, I thought that the movie did a beautiful job of capturing the essence of a moment. The moment when all you want in the world is to go somewhere new and be someone more exciting than you think you are. Think being the operative word. The moment where you begin to understand what relationships can truly mean to you. The moment that is the early 2000s and what that felt like for people coming of age then. Sure, she actually graduated four years before I would, but the essence is there. I did not have a fraught relationship with my parents like Lady Bird does, and I was not that sexually or drug drinking adventurous as she was, but the feeling like everything that is happening to you is at the same time the most important thing in the world, but also the most boring, that I fucking got. Juniper says, 
It was kind of a relatability uncanny valley for me, just parallel enough to my own experiences, but off enough in a way that was uncomfortable for me. I think if there was more distance between my own life and the character and setting, it would have more fully resonated, which kind of makes no sense. Trinitron says, a social climbing, self-obsessed teenager who wishes her life was harder? Fuck you, you spoiled, dumb, white bitch. I know a lot of people like this movie, but I hated Lady Bird. She's everything and everyone I avoided, I avoided in high school. I watched a movie about a brat. This is only what I hated about the main character. If I had more sentences left, I'd get into the shit-tastic letdown of the hype that built this as a love note to Sacramento. Most of the people that have been quoted are in their late 20s or early 30s. All of them have lived in this area for at least 10 years in the area, but regardless are familiar with a lot of the stuff in the film. So looking over this sample of reviews, you might not guess that this film has a 99% score on Rotten Tomatoes and has had a 99% for a very long time. This film actually broke a Rotten Tomatoes record as three weeks after it was released, it became the most reviewed film to hold a 100% rating on the site, a record that was previously held by Tor Story 2, a film which gets 8.9 out of 10 popcorn buckets for from me in my popcorn bucket rating system, so that's out of 10. Out of all of its A ratings, the thing that brought it down from a 100 to a 99 was a single B minus rating from someone who still liked the movie. <laughs> and by the way, uh, people tried to destroy this guy who gave it a B minus and and um, took the score down a little. That's that's another story, but that's for critical official critical reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiences, however, give this movie an eighty one percent, which is almost twenty percent lower on average than the critical reviews, which I find interesting for a lot of reasons. I mentioned this to Detective Splinterbutt, who you will remember from episode 5 of Bring Your Own Popcorn, in which we discussed Guillermo del Toro's 2013 action sci-fi baby Pacific Rim, which received 9.8 out of 10 popcorn buckets. Splinterbutt pointed out that Lady Bird, with its female protagonists, may be suffering from some of the same MRA cement shoe ratings as 2017's The Last Jedi, which received received 8.7 popcorn buckets. To clarify, some people have legitimate critiques of The Last Jedi. Some people, on the other hand, particularly men, hate it purely on the basis of its having strong female characters, even just female characters in any significant role. There is a movement present in the Rotten Tomatoes ratings, and you can Google it and read all about it, um, that are deliberately dragging down the ratings because of The Last Jedi, and they are primarily motivated by disliking both the gender diversity and the ethnic diversity in that film, rather than genuinely disliking the film, which it's totally fine when you genuinely dislike a film. If you, you know, that's your opinion. There's another 2017 smash hit that's also still sitting at 99%. Jordan Peele's film debut, Get Out, which has an audience rating of 87%, which is they're a little bit more in line with each other. That film gets 10 out of 10 popcorn buckets, and as of this recording, Jordan Peele was also fucking nominated for Academy Award. I don't think that is those awards have happened yet, but I really hope he either gets it or Emily V. Gordon and Camille Nanjani get it for their film debut, The Big Sick, which was also a really great film. I haven't actually officially calculated the score for The Big Sick, but I think it would be like probably a 9.7 out of 10, and it's great and you should see it as well you should see Get Out. As a last aside, um, I put out a call asking friends to write me little blurbs, and that's what those reviews were, except for my mom, who I mentally transcribed, but I did get her consent to mention it on my podcast. I got the consent of everyone else as well. I also then had decided to hold a little contest. Whoever can guess the closest number without going over prices right rules, the rating that I'm going to give Lady Bird is going to get a gift card to a local Sacramento business just out of curiosity, because I noticed people were like, oh my god, this is totally a movie that you're gonna love. And I was like, let's have a contest. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it'd be a fun thing to do. I was just curious, you know, when people tell you you're gonna love something, whether it's an album, a band, a book, or a movie, it's all—it's always, it's a little different than them just saying it's good, um, or I liked it. It's just a little different, and so that made me curious 
um, about in general what people thought that I would think of this movie because to me that gives me a little bit of feedback about what people think of me and I'm sure that's reading a little bit too much into it. Having been processing this for several weeks, <laughs> um, I think it's probably less what people think of me um, based on the ratings that people were guessing that I would give the film and more coming from the same place that their own ratings are coming from which is that a lot of people found this movie to be very relatable, um, to be very real and candid and relatable. So that could be a reflection of me in a way, and, and that would be a complimentary reflection of me that I'm, I think that I'm a very real, candid, relatable person. Okay, not relatable. I don't think I'm very relatable, but I think I'm very real and candid. So it's flattering that, that I would be in that realm where people would be like, you're going to love this. You need to see this movie. But being as you may have guessed, there is a discrepancy between how I feel about this movie and how others felt about this movie. Reviewing it makes me think that these the guesses for high ratings are coming from this is relatable. So it's it's less of having anything to do with me and more of a, like this is like kind of a universal, a little bit of a universal or at least a sacramental. <laughs> experience or movie uh, depiction. And as I'm speaking, I have a pretty good idea of what my rating is going to be. I do need to whip out the calculator and actually calculate it. But when I rate movies out of 10, what I do is I write down everything, not everything, but I like all of my super favorite best things that I liked about the movie. Let's say the cinematography was just absolutely blew me away. It was completely amazing and groundbreaking to me. Then I might give it a 10 out of 10 or I even recently gave um, the Murder on the Train <laughs> uh, 12 out of 10. Um, it's not called Murder on the Train. That's just what I've been calling it. Murder on the Orient Express. Great book. Pretty good movie, but uh, not the right time for that sort of movie. Like audiences were not feeling that one. But the cinematography, damn. I gave that 12 out of 10. But then I might give, you know, the acting was like most of the cast say was really great, but maybe there's a couple performances that didn't stand out or stood out as not being great. So I might give the overall acting eight out of 10 and then just keep going. And then the stuff that I don't like is gonna get below a five out of 10. And then I average those numbers up and whatever the average is, is the movie's final score. So I think in the end, Murder on the Train got like an 8.1 or something, 7.8 maybe. So I need to do that for Lady Bird and I have not done that yet because it's been a process. Y'all working on this podcast and thinking about this movie has been a process. And because it is so beloved, already, although I don't know if it's going to be one of those short-term beloved type of deals. I mean, Avatar is the biggest example for that, not Avatar The Last Airbender, which was an absolute travesty tragedy, the film. The cartoon is great. Um, but Avatar by Titanic man, James Cameron, that was one of those movies that like won all these awards and people were just crazy losing it for that movie. And then there, it has not been on anyone's radar since then pretty much. I'm sure there's, you know, some some uh, outlier groups that are still very invested in that world um, or that film, but for the vast majority of people, it's not on the radar, um, including like, you know, film buffs and podcasters. <laughs> and there's a couple other movies like that. I would say La La Land, I'm going to preemptively say. Um, I mean, it did come out I think over a year ago, I would probably give La La Land a 3 out of 10, I think. Because <laughs> I just don't think, there were definitely things I liked about it, um, but I don't think the things I liked about it made up for the things that upset me about it. <laughs> and that was one that people were losing it over, um, how good it was and how great it was and was nominated for all these awards and I think it won a couple of them. And then since then it's just been like, it's just kind of over. It's like you got really excited about eating this cake and once it was gone you never made another cake I don't know <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that metaphor but I'm wondering if Ladybird is going to be one of those things and only time will tell it's been as it was with La La Land it's been difficult I know it sounds really dramatic but it's been confusing to have such a strong reaction to a movie that is the polar opposite to what not just perfect strangers are saying but when it comes to something 
or I'm having this really strong reaction to and and all my friends love it and adore it and I love and adore my friends and they're all like we all have we have similar tastes generally it's it it kind of throws you for a loop I don't know if I can really capture how how weird that is and it even if it seems kind of silly because it's like oh it's just a movie but hey, I have a podcast about movies that I've been uh, intermittently running for uh, going on four years now. Don't tell me it's just a movie. <laughs> so let me get into my review for Lady Bird. So I'm going to start with what I liked about this movie and get that over with. <laughs> I thought the soundtrack was great, and I, I still need to look up some of the songs that I didn't recognize, but um, a good deal of the soundtrack was very fun. Kind of a typical indie soundtrack where you get to hear some indie rock bands that you either have or haven't heard before, with the exception of some notable moments with Dave Matthews, which I felt indifferent about and not, um, not inspired, <laughs> just indifferent. I don't know if they'd chosen another band, and it's not that I would say I dislike Dave Matthews. It, uh, it just had no nostalgia for me, and I think that the scenes that utilize that song, it was definitely a flagrant utilization of nostalgia for the people to whom that would apply, and I'm not that people, I guess, even though I totally was listening to Dave Matthews on the radio at that time. So it's not that I wasn't listening, it's just that it's a band that doesn't really have a nostalgic ring for me. Uh, we also had Hand in My Pocket by Alanis Morissette, but that one also didn't feel nostalgic to me because, let's be real, I still listen to that song sometimes. In fact, I even think it's on the radio sometimes. There was uh, some Bone Thugs in Harmony, there was some Annie DeFranco, some Indigo Girls, Real Big Fish, The Monkees, which uh, wasn't really, not really a 2001-ish thing, but, uh, and then some other bands I don't know, like Black Milk, um... Crank That, John Cale, Altered Images, I don't know if that's actually a band. <laughs> so the soundtrack was something I definitely enjoyed, although I think the Dave Matthews song has two scenes. First scene is, and oh yeah, by the way, this episode is going to be full of spoilers for Lady Bird, so um, if it was me and I had not seen the movie yet, it would not bother me, the spoilers that I'm going to reveal, just because I don't think it's that kind of movie, it's not like a what's gonna happen next type of movie or like guess what's gonna happen it's you know it's fairly predictable which being predictable isn't a bad thing but yeah so the first time you hear the Dave Matthews song is when the main character is sobbing with her best friend who is also sobbing because her best friend um has a ton of empathy and really loves her and is a great a great friend which we'll um look at more uh they're both sobbing because they've both just caught Ladybird's first boyfriend in the bathroom with uh making out with an another man that's the first time you hear the song and you know so they have this little bonding moment over that basically because they're both being vulnerable with each other and crying together and it's great that the that uh Ladybird has Julie her best friend to be there for her which she always is and the second time you hear the song is at what seems to be intended to be the sort of epiphany or turnaround of the movie, the sort of character redemption or the the turn of the arc or the peak of the arc or some kind of, it's supposed, so supposed to be some kind of thing that, that I've, uh, that didn't hit me the way I later was able to look back and see, oh, it was supposed to hit me this way, which is that she's Lady Bird is in the car with her new boyfriend, who's not really her boyfriend anymore because they broke up, but they're going to prom, so they, they're still going to prom even though they broke up. And there's two other friends in the car, but not Julie, because when Lady Bird became interested in the boy that she's currently not dating but is going to prom with, she dumped her other friend and now only hangs out with this really cute popular girl and her boyfriend, and now she only hangs out with them. So they're all in the car on their way to prom, and her not-boyfriend gets a phone call from his friend Mike, who is like, hey, let's not go to prom, it's stupid, just come over to my place. And then everyone else in the car is like, yeah, I didn't want to go prom anyway, let's just go to Mike's. And Ladybird really wanted to go to the prom, um, but she just swallows it because she wants to be cool, she wants to be the cool girl, and be chill, you know, hecka chill. And so she just says, oh yeah, that's, that'd be, that's totally cool, yeah, let's go to Mike's. 
And then Dave Matthews comes on the radio and she's kind of like grooving it to grooving to it and her not boyfriend says like I fucking hate this song or the song sucks or something. And then she has a little she has a little moment. She has a little epiphany and is like, No, I like this song. This song is great, you know, instead of saying, Oh, you're right, this song is terrible. Introduce me to good music mister instead she's like no i like this song and then she says you know what take me to julie's and they're all like who's julie which is like a joke that happens throughout the movie because no one knows who her best friend is because she ignores her and ditches her all the time and never talks about her except when she wants to run to her when she's upset about something and then they take her to julie's so those are the two times that you see that song and again i'm wondering how much of the formula for liking this movie is nostalgia and I'm not exactly criticizing that I'm I'm thinking out loud because this would be a perfect sort of encapsulation of the overall feelings about the whole movie if if um I'm not really feeling anything about the Dave Matthews song and it felt out of place to me it felt jarring in part because it doesn't feel nostalgic to me it doesn't feel like an old song to me even though it it, you know I suppose it is (laughs) I suppose and I can definitely take a step back and see how if that was a song that I actually did feel nostalgic about I would definitely feel differently about both of those scenes and I can't actually I cannot actually think of an example of a song that would make me feel nostalgic for high school or for junior high honestly I think the band that makes me feel the most nostalgic is U2 because it's the first band I ever remember hearing on the radio and it was before I even knew who U2 was. I actually think I sort of thought all of the radio was U2. I didn't realize there were all these songs that I knew by them when I was like two or three. Like literally I know that that's how old I was because I remember the apartment that we lived in and I know we lived there when I was two or three and I didn't know all the songs were by the same band. Anyway, the point is Nostalgia is something that has been brought up in, it seems, almost every review and most of the time, and when I've talked to people, because I've also talked to people about this film, and nostalgia has been something that gets brought up a lot. So let's talk about that. (laughs) So I have the example of the Dave Matthews Band song. I also don't feel nostalgia for high school for a lot of reasons. So here's a question. Can you feel nostalgic about something you hated? Like, I definitely feel nostalgic um, about childhood sometimes, about, in particular, just like some instances or some mindsets or mind frames. But overall, overall, I don't have a strong feeling of nostalgia nostalgia for childhood. And I would say I have zero to five percent feeling of nostalgia at any given moment for high school, but mostly zero. So I'm wondering how for these people um, who are saying nostalgia and relatable and it reminded me of that time, maybe I'm unable to relate to at least that factor because I don't feel nostalgia for 2001 or two or three. I don't know. That is at least part of it. But uh, let me talk about the opening scene of Lady Bird. The, the movie opens with Lady Bird and her mom driving in the car It looks like they're either in Sacramento or Davis. Actually, it looks more like Davis. But they are apparently on a road trip. They just finished listening to The uh, The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck on tape in the car. And they're both crying because it has a sad ending. No spoilers. Once it's over, Lady Bird goes to turn on the radio and her mom says something like, "Don't, Don't turn on the radio. Just leave it for a second. Let's just be. Let's just be, man. Let's just be with our thoughts. You know, be with our feelings. So Lady Bird being, uh, oh god, I was gonna say Lady Bird being 15 has a bad reaction to that, but you know what? She's 18 (laughs) because she goes to college. In this movie, she graduates high school and goes to college. So she's either 17 or 18 here. Yeah, so Lady Bird being a teenager is very annoyed by that, that her mom wants a moment of silence after having finished a pretty long book on tape and an emotionally intense book. She kind of like sighs and rolls her eyes and does that, does that teen thing. She does that teen thing. And they then begin discussing college and where Lady Bird is going to go 
and it's clearly a point of contention for them because Ladybird doesn't want to stay in Sacramento and her mom is a mom so she does want her to stay in Sacramento or at least in the area and Ladybird wants to go to New York or any place else that's super far away because she wants life to be more exciting. But before we even get into that, Ladybird says, I don't remember the exact quote, but the gist of what she says is, uh, inspired by the struggles of the characters in The Grapes of Wrath, I wish my life was hard. I wish I had struggles. And with that line, I pretty much instantly knew I was going to have a problem with this movie. Well, I didn't instantly know. My first thought was, is this going to be a self-aware, I was an asshole movie? Um, although at this point I did not know that it was an autobiographical film. I thought it was another just like indie film that Greta Gerwig was working on that probably was a little bit inspired by her life, maybe some other people's lives, but I've now discovered that it is entirely based on her life and her family. So when she said that, her character said that line, I thought, well, maybe this is like, we're going to watch her be an asshole and we're going to watch either watch her grow and change or we're just gonna watch her suffer because she's an asshole and either way those formulas would be tolerable so I was like it's gonna be one of those two right well spoiler it was neither but I regardless of even if it hadn't been that I still was so annoyed by this character right away um the way that she was treating her mom you know at the age of 18 mm, I know teens are dumb and I know they have issues with their parents, but like 18, man. And there's something to be said about people saying that, well, her mom was abusive. And that's another thing where I come against a brick wall kind of in understanding how you could come from that perspective because um, her mom was a flawed mother who definitely, I mean, who knows how accurate this portrayal is or, you know, maybe it's even, maybe she's portrayed not as bad as she actually was also. I don't get that impression. I get the impression that this is 100% truthful, at least from Greta's perspective. But what she does is, what you see in the movie is low-level emotional abuse. Um, and I don't want to upset anyone <laughs> who might listen to this who experienced that kind of low-level emotional abuse for an extensive period of time from either one of their parents because feeling like your parent doesn't love you is absolutely awful and I'm in no way belittling that or saying that you shouldn't be upset about it or saying that you shouldn't demand reparations. You totally should. But trying to say in any way that Ladybird's um, mother who works full-time and usually works overtime and works double shifts and back-to-back -back shifts and is supporting an entire household and is raising two but actually three kids and is supporting her husband both emotionally and romantically and presumably sexually because they do indicate that they have like a healthy close relationship. Um, she's doing all this and her her daughter does not see it like at all which I'm sure that's normal for a teenager to not get that but it's not pleasant to watch <laughs> it's just it's not pleasant to watch and if you have to watch it I want to I want to see it get better I want to see something change or I just want to see the person who is being unappreciative suffer <laughs> I want to see them suffer the consequences of being an asshole and being unappreciative because that's life that's what actually happens um but I did not feel that that happened in the movie this is the very first I'm literally talking about the very first scene in the movie when Ladybird is an asshole to her mom. Oh, and I haven't even gotten to the best part. So she starts talking about college. She wants to go to New York. Her mom's like, I want you to go to Sacramento. And Ladybird gets really upset and she's like, you're not listening to me. And her mom's like, basically starts saying, just laying the truth on her, laying on some thick truth butter and is like, you are spoiled <laughs> and you need to face reality, which is totally legit. And Lady Bird, 18 years old, maybe 17, opens the car door and jumps out of the car, of the moving car. Not like at a stoplight or a stop sign, not going like 20 miles an hour. Out of the moving vehicle, she risks her life just to get away from her mom saying, why are you a brat? <laughs> Which I guess you could argue, maybe I'm missing something if this child feels so attacked and so anguished by 
her mother's treatment of her, she would risk her life to get away from her. Would that indicate there is something in this relationship that is extremely toxic that might maybe uh, the mother should be bearing um, a great part of, <laughs> a great responsibility for? And just based on the movie, I would say no. <laughs> That is, of course, based on the movie and not based on whatever their relationship may have been like in real life. But what was depicted in the movie did not indicate to me anything remotely legitimate to warrant the way that Lady Bird treated her mother, the way she treated her father, the way she treated her best friend, and the way she even treated her boyfriend, then not boyfriend, not, not the gay one, but the other one who she, she slut-shamed after she found out he wasn't a virgin, after she had sex with him, which was another scene that I really didn't like because if you swap the genders and two teens just consensually slept together and then the boy says, your virginity belongs to me now, and the girl says, I wasn't a virgin, and the boy flips out and is like, you lied to me, what the hell? This was supposed to be one thing and it wasn't that thing and is like freaking out and then breaks up with the girl. That would be not okay at all and no one would be giggling in the theater, which is the reaction to Lady Bird doing that to the male character who did not seem like, like a chill dude, like I don't like him, but he didn't lie about his virginity. He didn't say he was a virgin and slut shaming him is just absurd. Which I guess comes around to that, that thing where it's like, well, if that's what happened, that's what happened. Or, you know, Greater Gerwig isn't necessarily saying this was the right way to respond. And she may be very well aware that she acted like an asshole in that instance. But then the question comes for that scene and a lot of other scenes, why did this story need to be told? So like, what's the, what do I get from this? Like, where's the character arc? If you're telling a slice of life biography or autobiography, there's a... There's always an arc, even in movies that kind of seem very straight line and there are no scenes, because I've, I've watched movies where there are no scenes that, that um, maybe stand out as being particularly dramatic or a particular epiphany or anything like that, but they still, at the end of the movie, you're like, you have a better sense of what the movie was, you have a better sense of who the character is, you, you are in this world and the thing that those movies achieve is you are in that world and you've just experienced a bit of that world even if maybe the character hasn't grown much. I don't know if I can think of a movie that I enjoyed where the character didn't grow at all but that is the sense that I got from this movie. So I'm gonna go ahead and just just read down my list of things that I didn't like about the movie and I only made this list so that I could share it with you and I can't just say I hated this movie I need to explain it. I owe you that listeners and friends. The acting was freaking great and I think Saoirse Ronan cast as Lady Bird was amazing but I also think she was incredibly miscast which uh so this just brings me to the first thing that I don't like about the movie which is that I think casting someone who is so eminently likable um casting her as this incredible asshole is a cop-out because I think you forgive her character a lot more than you would if it was a different actress and I know sometimes stories will do that on purpose. You cast a, certain, a particular actor or actress as a kind of hateable character and you end up loving them anyway even though they're doing shitty things. So I know that happens all the time, but in this case, I don't think it should have happened. <laughs> there was just so many other ways that this movie could be that I would be okay with. Like if it was, an, I mean, I've addressed it a little bit. If she was an asshole and she suffered the consequences of being an asshole, if, if it was kind of coming across as like an apology to her mom or an apology in any way, or if she grew <laughs> at the end of the movie, if she grew or changed, if we got to see that she grew or changed. And that's one of the things that made me sad is it's like not only at the end of the movie has the character not grown or changed at all at all uh the way that the movie because we know oh this is an autobiography segment or I feel like I can tell from the way 
the characters are portrayed, particularly the mom and the friend and the main character, um, at least as far as editing goes, the way that they're portrayed indicates to me that Greta Gerwig has not learned the lessons from this movie. And that makes me really sad. The way that the mom is portrayed and the way, I mean, I can get, so I can start on my list. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of things about the mom where she's portrayed so unsympathetically and so, in my opinion, misogynistically and sexistly, and I would not expect that, or, I mean, maybe I should. I would, I would hope to not see that from a female director and a female writer, um, but just so, the way she's portrayed is so unappreciative of, of her and everything she does, and I know that that's how her daughter sees her, and the movie's technically about her daughter, but I disagree with that approach to the film. I think that we as viewers can, can be given a perspective of the mother where we could be on her side, or we could see her more dynamically, which I feel like I did, but I feel like a lot of people didn't, because I'm seeing reviews saying that she was abusive, and this is a movie about a terrible mother. I'm seeing a lot of that. It could be portrayed in a way where we to where we understand that the teenager feels abused and upset and hates her mom, but we are able to see both that perspective and that, oh my god, mom is actually doing so much and she's making a huge effort and doing what she can with what she has to try to show her daughter how much she loves and she's doing what she can. Um, and I don't think that that is was attempted an attempted portrayal at all it came off to me that the attempt was to portray the mother as a very bad mother and the teenage daughter as a victim overall going down my list um at the scene when the mother is driving away from the airport and she starts crying i was like i'm actually reading what i wrote <laughs> I was like, Greta, we know, we know her heart, the mom, we know her heart is breaking into a million pieces, we know she's sobbing so hard that she can't see, we don't need this long scene, because duh, I felt like that scene was there to convince Greta. So we know that this is an autobiography, so that we know that Greta Gerwig, when her mom dropped her off at the airport to go to college, we know that she wasn't in the car when her mom drove away without her. So it's this very, felt very long, prolonged scene of her mom refusing to talk to her because she's mad at her for going to New York and driving away without saying, she just said good, goodbye, drives her away, drives away without um, walking her up to the gate and without, I think, hugging her or anything. And then there's a prolonged scene of her driving and immediately breaking down, crying, sobbing. Her perspective gets all blurry. You can tell that, you know, her heart's breaking into a million pieces, but it just keeps going. And the way that I would have done this scene is you would have seen the mom drive away and you would have seen, there would have been like a shot of her eyes and you would have seen in those eyes, oh yeah, she's about to break down crying. And then we wouldn't go back to it because you would know that's what was happening. That's what was happening. Or we would cut to the next scene, which is her wildly driving the car back, leaving it in the red zone, coming, running out of the car, running over to dad, daughter's already gone and sobbing into her husband's arms. Like you could have just cut to that very quickly. And so the scene being there, this long, prolonged, drawn out scene, <laughs> it felt like it was there to convince Greta. Like Greta's telling herself, she really does love me. She drove away and she cried and sobbed because she loves me and she wished that she had said goodbye to me. Cause you know, this is a scene that in real life she wasn't there for, but it just like, I feel like I already knew that. Like every time it was a scene that was trying to humanize the mom. It was like, oh, you're trying to humanize the mom to me, but I already see her as very human and strong and trying to do everything. And I relate a lot more to the mom than I do to you, the main character. So after her first boyfriend, after her first breakup, her identity becomes completely based on guys. Um, she becomes friends with a popular girl named Jenna and starts hanging out in the places that she hangs out because she's trying to find this other guy that she thought was cute. And speaking of Jenna, it seems like throughout the movie we are like supposed to hate Jenna because she's pretty and popular, but it's also mentioned that she's an AP calculus and um, she's a really good friend to Ladybug throughout the movie, even when Ladybug blatantly lies to her. 
She lies to her on several occasions. And even when she finds out that she was lying, she's still a good friend to her. And, like, she's smart and knows what she wants, but I get the definite sense that we're supposed to hate her and look down on her. Be like, because she's pretty? Because she's gorgeous? I mean, skinny? Like, why? Why are we supposed to hate her? But she's portrayed as a, like, we're supposed to hate her. At least that's what I got. I liked her, but I got the sense that uh, the way she was being portrayed, similarly as to the mom, we're supposed to kind of be against her and look down on her above all. Even if we're not supposed to hate her, we're supposed to look down on her for sure. Even though Ladybird is the one ditching her best friend to hang out with her. It's not the popular girl's fault that Ladybird is ditching her best friend. That's Ladybird's choice. And speaking of her best friend, uh, there's multiple throwaway lines where she just treats her best friend like shit. And um, her best friend is um, a little a little overweight. And it throughout the movie comes across as just being being you know like that less attractive friend. Even though she's not less attractive, she's cute and smart but she definitely gets relegated or delegated is that the word into that role of the chubby friend which is a, which is a stereotype and ladybird treats her like shit for example they both try out for the same part in the same play and ladybird doesn't get it and her friend julie does get it and instead of being like oh man i wish i got it but i love that you got it because i love you and you're my friend or anything even remotely approaching that ladybird says i can't believe they picked you I'm the one who dressed up for it. And her friend, who could be like, fuck you, instead says, yeah, I know, because she's a perfect angel. And then Ladybird ditches her. Um, at one point, they get in a fight because Julie gets sick of her bullshit, although she comes back around again, sadly. Um, she, Ladybird, is mad at Julie, and so she insults her best friend's mom and her mom's boob job in front of a group of people at school. That sounds like real top-notch best friend behavior. So, like, another example of... Ladybird not growing and being very selfish is um, at the very end of the movie she goes to college. She immediately starts sad drinking even though the second half of the movie has been her trying to go to New York, trying to get out of Sacramento, trying to get accepted to this college. Every time she gets a little bit closer to getting accepted to this college she's super happy screaming and freaking out. So she gets into this college. She's at this college. She is sad drinking to the point where she sad drinks herself into an emergency room which uh she has to be taken there by an ambulance which um is thousands and thousands of dollars i imagine it might be more even more if you're out of state i don't know because you know she's from california she then uses her emergency cell phone which you know at the time cell phones were not super common they were around but not everyone had one and her parents get her an emergency phone that she can call so that she can call california from new york for emergencies only right after she gets to call she calls home twice and it's not focused on at all i mean the fact that oh my god those are those are huge bills and we've seen multiple scenes where the parents are having issues with each other and with themselves the dad is depressed and on um, antidepressants because he lost his job and they're doing really badly with money and the daughter knows that and she knows her dad's on antidepressants and she knows all of it so yeah that's the end of the movie <laughs> and then well the very end i'll get to the very end as well um, throughout the movie, I got the sense that Ladybird, or rather, that Greta Gerwig does not actually know what her mom does for work. Like, if, I don't know if they changed professions. Um, no, I think I looked it up on Wikipedia. I think her mom really was a psych nurse. But the movie gives me the impression that to this day, she doesn't know what her mom does. Because I would understand as a teenager, she doesn't really know what her mom does at work. You know, you get, you, you're so familiar, you don't think to ask. But you would think that she knows now. But the, the scenes with her mom, I've seen multiple people asking, and, and my mom, when she saw it with me, also was like, what does she do exactly? Because the scenes where she's at work are so, they seem like scenes written by someone who doesn't really know what this job is. So they're like, put them in the outfit, put them in the scene the setting and then uh just like have them walk around a little bit have them like i guess uh talk to another character that you see earlier in the movie and she's like apparently giving him therapy i don't know if she's a psychiatric nurse and she prescribes medicine i don't know you don't know either because the movie does not tell you um and that makes me sad too because it's like you should know like even if you had a strained relationship with your mom back then and you were an unappreciative bratty little teenager back then you are now in your 30s and you're making a movie 
thinking about it, you can now know what your mom does for a living or what she did for a living then. There were many scenes that make us sympathetic to the dad. I liked the dad, um, but I definitely felt uh, annoyed by him at times because he does exactly what the mom says he does, um, which I think I get the impression that Greta Gerwig still does not get it. Uh, and what the mom says is, you always play the good guy and you make me play the bad guy. And this is a classic relationship trope, a classic parenting trope where one parent, and it is just very often the mom, takes more responsibility and uh, looks more at the future and wh whichever parent does that, the other parent has the option to, well no, if someone's taking more then there's no option, but what seems to happen a lot is that the mother is who's, you know, telling you don't play in the street, wear your helmet, uh, be nice to your friends, you know, to always telling you to do stuff for your own good, and then your dad's kind of like, eh, let's watch TV until midnight. It's frustrating to me <laughs> to see that depiction and to get the sense that the way it's being depicted is absolutely like still in that mindset that dad is cool, mom is a complicated, abusive, unfeeling, stoic, big old meanie, and dad is just dad and I love dad and he has no flaws and he might be depressed but I'm still gonna be a little asshole. I thought a very interesting moment was an interaction between Lady Bird and Sister Sarah Joan. Sister Sarah Joan is a nun who uh, is like the head nun at the Catholic school that Lady Bird goes to. Sister Sarah Joan is actually super chill and super cool. She's very nice to Lady Bird and guess what? Lady Bird treats her like shit and is an asshole and calls her a cunt to other students. And she also vandalizes her car, which because Sister Sarah Joan is awesome, is she just says, haha, that was actually funny. So there's an interesting scene between them where um, Sister Sarah Joan, she says, oh, I think you, it seems like you love Sacramento. And Lady Bird says, oh no, I just like, I just pay attention to stuff. I hate Sacramento. Um, Cause she wrote an essay about Sacramento. And Sister Sarah Joan says, well, aren't those kind of the same thing? And she's saying, aren't love and attention kind of the same thing? I don't know why that scene was in there, but I feel like it might be one of the most self-aware scenes in the movie if it was in there for the reason I think it was. If it was just in there to, uh, I don't know, to try to convince people that it is a love letter to Sacramento, or if it's in there just to show the sweet interaction with Sister Sarah Joan. But if it was in there because it's letting you know, oh, Lady Bird is, is completely confused about what love is. She cannot see that her mom loves her, so she hates her and treats her like shit. She can't see that her friend loves her, so she treats her like shit. But she thinks that attention is love, and so when she isn't getting attention, she thinks she's not getting love, and that would kind of explain why she's an asshole because you can't have attention all the time and you can't always get the attention that you want and if you think that's love then yes you're gonna be really deprived of that so I just thought it was an interesting scene and I don't know what I don't know what the goal was because it honestly felt out of place it felt so much more self-aware than the rest of the movie continuing to go down my list there's a scene where ladybird is apologizing to her mom because well yeah because her mom isn't talking to her so uh ladybird is apologizing to her the reason her mom isn't talking to her is because she is pissed off because Lady Bird is going to New York. She got accepted to the college in New York and she's partially mad about that and she might be even more upset because Lady Bird did it in secret. So she didn't tell her mom that she applied there, but she did tell her dad and her friends. So she's been going through this process for months, you know, submitting her application and her letter, getting, uh, getting on the wait list and then getting accepted and the whole time her mom hasn't known anything about it. So her mom doesn't talk to her for what seems like a day. I can't really tell. The time gets a little weird there. And so she's apologizing to her and saying, I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I'm sorry I went behind your back. And just going on and on and on. And, but her apology, the pinnacle of her apology is, I'm sorry I wanted more, which is such an infuriating apology. So you're basically saying, I'm sorry that what you have given me as a mother, which is a lot, I'm sorry that I want more than the crap you've given me, <laughs> is basically what she's saying. And I, I just find that to be so offensive, probably in part because I'm relating more to the mother than the daughter, even though I don't have kids, nor do I ever want them, most likely.
this is a movie about a white girl in a white family and it's her bio family who birthed her and raised her. They've lived in the same house for their entire life. They have a house. She has her own bedroom. I was always so jealous of people in TV and movies when I was growing up. People who had their own rooms and could like put pictures up on the walls and shit. She has her own room that she's painted and she draws on the walls and her parents let her just like scribble on the walls with sharpie and paint things on the walls and also her name is christine but her parents let her call herself ladybird she doesn't like the name they gave her because she hates them so much because her life is so terrible and she has a brother who's pretty chill and his girlfriend also lives there and he's all uh, she's also quite chill and they're all very kind to her and um pretty understanding even though she screams at them and at one point tries to break and throw the family computer and this is like 2001 I think and so uh, computers are like you know pretty much everyone has one but they're still extremely expensive and it's not like today where like you'll have two laptops and a computer in a household so even though she screams and throws tantrums and calls people names and insults them they're still quite kind to her in fact her brother even gets her a job like he basically just gets her a job at a grocery store because there's no way that she could land that job with her maturity level but her brother gets it for her she has two parents who love her and pay attention to her and talk to her every day without her having to like go out of her way to be like hey talk to me her mom likes to take her shopping and they chit chat and her mom helps her pick out stuff and gives her her opinion on what she's wearing which is really offensive and cruel of her to do to poor ladybird when she's sad her mom takes her to do their favorite sunday activity which is uh going through rich people's houses that are for sale pretending like they're gonna buy them which is like the maybe the one thing I can relate to in this movie except I still can't relate to she lies she wants so badly to both be rich and have an enormous house but also be have terrible struggles so that she can be complicated and interesting I can't relate to that but I can relate to the preoccupation with huge houses and what it is like to live in a huge house but I wonder if that um, the fact that that's an activity that she and her mom do together has anything to do with her preoccupation with being rich and lying to people and telling them that she lives at an address that she doesn't live at just so that people think she's rich and lives at an enormous house that she likes and I think that's about it overall I mean there's 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 more there's so much more the bottom line is just I I really liked the mom Marion I liked the brother I liked the brother's girlfriend um I liked the gay boyfriend um I loved Julie the best friend and I really really hated Ladybird and I wanted her to have some consequences for the way that she was acting and how horribly she treated everyone around her or I wanted maybe she could be horrible the whole movie but in the in the like third act have some kind of change or some sign of growth um, because the way the movie ends is supposed to be that I think the way it ends I think we're supposed to think she's changed and she's starting to grow but like I said before I get the impression that Greta has not changed based on the way this movie was uh, chosen, has chosen to portray its characters and that makes me sad. So the scene seems to be telling us we're supposed to think that Lady Bird has grown is at the very end after she gets out of the emergency room where she has just rang up a, an enormous bill for her parents who do not have that money both the emergency room and the two cell phone calls on her emergency phone. Uh, she then makes, or no, she makes the second call then. Uh, so like her parents are already getting a several thousand dollar emergency room bill for both the ambulance and the emergency room stay and possibly stomach pump. She then uses that call phone again and no one is home so she leaves a voicemail for her mom and says i'm gonna try to like say as close to what she actually says hey mom when you drive in sacramento do you ever feel like nostalgic and happy when you're driving in sacramento because i do last time i drove in sacramento i was looking at all the places and was like oh all these places that i drive by all the time it's cool and i just want to say i love you mom fade to black <laughs> That, so that's supposed to be like the moment where we're, where we see, I guess, like I'm 
it's supposed to be like she's forgiving her mom and we're supposed to think that she's growing because she's able to tell her mom that she loves her. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I can feel that it's supposed to be poignant and that like we're supposed to be like, oh, something, oh, something. (laughs) But whatever it is I'm supposed to be thinking or feeling at that scene, I'm not feeling that and I'm also feeling angry and annoyed (laughs) instead of being like, oh, it's the end. I'm saying it's that's it that's the end and instead of feeling like it's that's uh epiphany or whatever i'm just feeling oh my god she has learned nothing and she she's she's running up this ridiculous bill on her parents who are struggling and fighting and depressed because they don't have any money and she's already got them this emergency room bill now she's using her emergency phone to run them up another bill just so that she can ramble about driving in sacramento in this totally totally non-connecting attempt at connection i guess and then just say i love you mom so i'm so sorry (laughs) to my friends um who guessed that i would give this a score of higher than four and i'm so sorry that i could not feel the way about the movie that you did and i do not hold it against any of you i just am genuinely confused (laughs) by the film and by what people are seeing in it and so i hope that um this episode gives a well-rounded picture both of the perspectives of the film from various uh local people as well as someone who cannot relate to it at all i don't know if that's the only reason like i said before i don't have any nostalgia about anything in the movie from the music to the interactions of the family to the way the main character acts i can neither relate nor do i feel nostalgic about anything and the scenes in sacramento which i was excited about seeing sacramento but uh that disappointed me as well because there it really the movie could have taken place anywhere the the shots of sacramento didn't have characters in them it was like just b-roll and not even the stuff that i would have included in the movie with the exception of the golden bridge not the golden gate bridge but the golden tower bridge and i would have just had different shots altogether of sacramento to capture the city where i live and love again i'm sorry friends and i'm gonna calculate uh, my final score for this movie the final score for ladybird 2017 Gerwig's directorial debut biopic i give the acting 10 out of 10 i give the soundtrack 8 out of 10 I give the Eternal Flame prom 9 out of 10, and by which I mean the theme of the prom at this Catholic high school was the Eternal Flame, and I thought that was hilarious. Female masturbation, just the mere discussion of it in a movie that's going to be seen by so many people and teens, I give that a 9 out of 10. I love that it was brought up. Casting, 7 out of 10, and I addressed this earlier, like the acting is 10 out of 10. The casting, I love the casting of the mom and the dad, and pretty much everyone. Main character, 1 out of 10. Ending of the film, 1 out of 10. Character growth and arc, 1 out of 10. Self-awareness of the film as a whole, 3 out of 10. Sacramento, the shots chosen, 5 out of 10. The fact that Sacramento was in it, I enjoyed that. Uh, the shots that were chosen, didn't didn't love it. 5 out of 10. Nostalgia value, 1 out of 10 for me. This is my score, 1. Comments about weight. I did forget to discuss this or address this in my lengthy review, but there are multiple moments that are complete throwaways that do not get addressed where the main character, who is a very thin individual, as is Greta, tells her friend, who as I mentioned before, is a little overweight and she kind of gets cast into the stereotypical chubby friend role in that they make her come off as like kind of dumb, even though she's not dumb, but they kind of portray her that way. She's a little overweight. Her friend is very thin and very gorgeous and she her thin friend makes multiple comments about weight and about needing to lose weight and about needing to eat less and these are completely throwaway comments and this is a film that is going to be seen by girls who have eating disorders already girls and boys who already have eating disorders and are it's going to be seen by girls and boys who will develop eating disorders and this is just another tally mark in that and i'm not saying lie and pretend like you didn't have those thoughts as a teen because of course you did because that's the society and world that we live in 
I also wanted to lose weight at that age. But if you're gonna, if you're going to go ahead and put that in your story, put it in there for a reason. Don't put it in there just to say, oh, poor girl, she's thin and she wants to lose weight. That must be hard for her and she must be suffering from the same struggle that most girls are suffering from, which is sad. But if you're gonna throw it in there, address it. But no, these comments are just complete throwaway comments where she just says, I need to lose weight or I'm trying to eat less. One out of 10. Treatment of friends. This is not a friendship movie. One out of 10. Treatment of sympathetic adults. One out of 10. I've already talked about her treatment of her mom. Um, which is terrible, and her treatment of her dad, which is also terrible because she basically just uses him and sees him because he's the nice guy and the good guy and the fun guy. She sees him as someone she can use even though she knows he's depressed and that their family is broke. She continues to treat him the same as before, which is just asking him for stuff and expecting him to give up stuff for her. And not just that. So I was partially thinking of the treatment of her parents, but if it was just her parents, I might have given it like a 4 out of 10 because, you know, your parents are your parents. But also the way she treats Sister Sarah Joan, who is so kind to her, how the character herself treats, but more so how the movie treats one of the people of color in the film, the previous leader of her theater group in the Catholic high school, who we see in kind of a comedic role, even though it is not comedic. We see him in a scene where there it's it's the theater group and the, the exercise is, let's see who can cry first, which I believe is, it's like a real theater exercise. You all try to fake cry and whoever can do it first wins because uh, you're talented. And then he starts crying. The The teacher uh, is the first one to start crying and everyone in the audience, both times I saw it, started laughing. And the expressions on the faces of the people in the film do indicate that like, yeah, you're supposed to kind of be laughing because like, it's so crazy. And yeah, it's like awkward and uncomfortable. But Jesus Christ, it's really sad that that's happening, especially if that really happened and again, why, if you're gonna put that in there, what are you gonna do with it? Where are you gonna go with it? Why are you, are you just gonna put that in there just to be like, look, people are weird and I witnessed a weird guy being weird. Like, or are you gonna tell, are you gonna say something about it? Or if you are just gonna put people in there as, as weird, just weird things to look at, which like there's movies like that that I like where it's just like, man, people are really weird and they do weird stuff. Do that or do the other thing, but pick one. Don't just treat people like the pawns in your life story. He then comes up in another scene where he, the teacher goes to Ladybird's mom for psychiatric or psychological counseling. I'm not sure because I'm not sure what she does. He goes to her and it's revealed that we know he's suffering um, and he's depressed and I think he's getting medica medication for his depression and he's crying and he's upset and he has no one in his life like he tells her that he has no one in his life to turn to it's just it's just him and it's very sad and earlier you know the whole audience has laughed at him so maybe this scene is supposed to be like oh we shouldn't have laughed at him then this is really sad so like that's cool but that is the last we see of him except we see him in the background another time I think looking at a boy's butt but I wasn't sure if that was just in my imagination or if like they're trying to indicate oh he's also gay and he's like repressed because he's at a Catholic school and he has to be or I don't know this is basically the last time we see him this is the last time we see him talk because he stops teaching at the school Ladybird is is not particularly mean to him because they don't have any interaction really but just the treatment of that character of like giving us this scene where people are going to laugh at him crying because it's a weird awkward scene and then giving us this weird scene where he's crying in the office and telling the mom not to tell her daughter which we know that she tells her daughter because the scene's in the movie therefore she knows about it unless it was completely made up overall this all comes down to giving a uh, ladybird a score of 4.1 which is actually higher than i was expecting <laughs> so that's ladybird thank you and i'm sorry in closing of this episode of bring your own popcorn i would like to reveal some reviews for some other films from 2017 during which i know there was a sorry lack of bring your own popcorn episodes uh get out as i already established Oh shit, I forget what I said. It was like a 9.8, right? 9.8 out of 10 popcorn buckets for Get Out. Jordan Peele's directorial debut. Amazing film. Dunkirk, um, I really enjoyed. Christopher Nolan using real film. I really liked it. It would get about a, an 8.8 out of 10. I haven't officially calculated these. Uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi, I already talked about. 8.7 out of 10 popcorn buckets. Wonder Woman 2017. Um, I think I ended up giving that a 6 out of 10. That could be a whole episode on its own. The Shape of Water, just recently saw that. I give it a 9.9 .9 out of 10. That was uh, Guillermo del Toro. Blade Runner 2049, I did not care for. I give it a 7 out of 10. 
there was a lot of things I liked about it um, as far as science fiction goes and as far as the acting goes and as far as the special effects go but other than that there was a lot I did not like. Thor Ragnarok was my favorite Thor film so far. I give it a 10 out of 10 because I was laughing so much. Uh, maybe okay maybe a 9 out of 10 but it is it is so much fun. Very fun. The Big Sick, I think I said 9.7 out of 10. The Disaster Artist, also one of the best films of 2017. I give that a 10 out of 10. Uh, I'm really bummed about the fact that James Franco is a fucking dirtbag, as we soon found out after. I mean, Tommy Wiseau, the person who it's about, is also a dirtbag. Like, I think it's really easy to laugh at him, but if you, like, take away the music and, and the stage, he is he's a jerk. Like, the way he treats people is really shitty, but it's, it is fascinating, and it, uh, it's a great movie. Very entertaining very interesting um 2017's it of stephen king renown i would give a nine out of ten i guess people didn't really like that one you know i thought it was pretty great i didn't love the clown design um and i wasn't that excited about seeing the movie i was just like yeah i'll see it um but i actually really liked it spider-man homecoming also my favorite in a in a franchise or series to come out that spider-man homecoming is my favorite spider-man movie by far i think i gave it a nine point seven out of ten guardians of the galaxy 2 was in 2017 um i did not care for it i was pretty bummed i would give it a seven out of ten probably first one gets a ten out of ten alien covenant was not half bad um i had a lot of fun like it wasn't great it had some flaws but i i really had fun watching it probably give it a 7.8 out of 10 maybe and that's all i have for now i will hopefully see you all again soon for another episode of bring your own popcorn bring, bring your, your own, own popcorn, popcorn. I'm a